Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Hello, and welcome to the Publicly Challenged Podcast. I'm your host, Luke Oswald, and I hope you join me on my quest for knowledge to become a better public land hunter, angler, and forager. Stick with this, and who knows, maybe we will learn something together. All right, so I'm sitting here, and I'm talking to Josh Kirchner, and he's got a new book out. And he's also a pretty effective backpack hunter. So, Josh, I'm going to let you go ahead and finish introducing yourself, if you don't mind. Oh, thanks, man. Uh, yeah, so name's Josh Kirscher. I live uh, down here in the desert in uh, Arizona. Um, you know, like most most people, you know, I was fortunate. Uh, I had a dad that uh, pushed the outdoors uh, into my life, you know, and I graciously accepted that. <laughs> um <clears throat> And uh, got me into hunting and fishing and everything like that and uh, grew up and uh, when I was a kid, like, though, it was only like a once a year type of deal, you know, like your annual deer camp, you know, and then um, when I got older, you know, my mid 20s or so, I really started um, just I got like really, really obsessed with hunting, <laughs> um, wanted to learn a lot more. And um yeah. So I just dove head first. Hunting became my, my thing. You know, I, 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 what I always say is like some guys are into working on cars and some guys are into football. My, my thing is hunting. So, um, yeah. And then, uh, ended up starting a blog not too long after that to kind of, kind of document my, uh, journey, if you would, like learning, like trick, really learning how to hunt and maybe provide some insight to some beginners out there, letting them know that, um, you know, like hunting TV, hunting media, I feel like puts like a kind of a false impression in a lot of younger folks eyes where success is really easy to come by, right? Like you, you watch a 30 minute hunting show, you'll see three or four deer hit the ground. Um, <laughs> that that's fun and all, you know what I mean? Like I loved watching those as a kid, but like when you really don't know what you're doing and you go out there, I mean, you might not even see a deer, you know? And then it's like, well, am I just like an awful hunter? You know what I mean? Like, but my thing, I wanted to let people know, Hey, that's normal. You know, this is all part of the process. You know what I mean? So, um, yeah, yeah. Now I'm a fortunate enough to do, uh, quite a bit of freelance writing within the hunting industry and, um, yeah, do like photography and video and stuff too. So yeah, that, that's me, man. That's awesome. So you grew up on the East coast, right? Or like half of your childhood or something like that. Right. Um, did you, did you do any hunting out there or was it pretty much once you got to Arizona? Yeah. So, uh, first eight years of my life, I lived in New York. Um, my hunting there was, uh, non-existent, never did it. Uh, dad used to take me out fishing a lot in New York. Um, but when we lived in New York, 
my dad had this like stack of magazines that was all from, you know, Western hunting, you know? So I would dive into these magazines and there was just like this whole world in there that I had no idea that was there, you know, like I've never experienced anything like that. So I, I was dreaming about mule deer and largemouth bass before, <laughs> before I even got to Arizona. And then I moved to Arizona when I was eight. So, yeah, that's pretty cool. So when, when you, uh, started hunting with your dad, I read a little bit and it was like a once in a year type thing. You get the tag and you go try and get a deer and maybe be successful, maybe not. And then it doesn't really happen or you wait until next year. Yeah, pretty much. That That's how it went, man. It was, and, and I, you know, I loved those times during my childhood, you know, it was like this thing that I looked forward to every single year. Um, and if I'm being honest, I mean, I didn't know, um, when I was younger that you could hunt so much. I didn't know there was so much opportunity out there to hunt. Like nowadays, I feel like I'm doing stuff that revolves around hunting every month. Um, back then it was like, Oh, once October gets here, you know, it's time is, you know, end of October is deer season. We're going to go hunting with dad and we're going to drink coffee the one time a year that I drink coffee when I was a kid. You know what I mean? And, and, uh, and I'm going to be super cold. I'm going to be wearing like four pairs of socks, you know, and, and that was deer hunting to me. That was hunting season. Then after that, that was pretty much it. You know, I'd wait till next year. Yeah. No, that's, I mean, I never went, the only hunting I ever did with my dad was, uh, pretty much like pheasant hunting, I think, you know, upland game. And then when I wanted to start deer hunting, I already had a bow. So I started out bow hunting and it was like me and my buddies just went out and kind of taught ourselves. And I'll tell you what, that was tough, especially at the time there wasn't any YouTube or any kind of resources that you had like that. I'm sure there was books out there, but what kid 18 years old is 16 years old is going to pick up a book unless he has to. Right. So, <laughs> you know, it was a lot of, uh, misses and, and, uh, not so many wounded animals, but definitely misses and, and lost opportunities because we didn't know what the heck we were doing or understand the wind and different things like that. So I totally get it. How, how did you end up, uh, getting so serious? Was it like a rifle thing or a bow or which direction did you go first? Um, my thing was, uh, I had no preference. And, and so right off the bat, I gravitated towards a rifle because to me at that point, I, I mean, my, my dad and I, we were never successful. So like, I never experienced like getting a deer when I was a kid. So to me, it was just like this thing, this like forbidden fruit, this untouchable thing that I've never <laughs> experienced. So I'm like, why would I make it harder on myself by using a bow? I'm going to try to use a rifle. Right. Um, uh, so that's what, that's what I did. And, uh, fun funnily enough, I, I became more interested in bear hunting than, than anything out there. Um, I shot, I shot a, a bear before I got my first deer. Um, that was just, actually I shot a, I shot a mountain lion and then I shot a bear and then I shot my first deer. <laughs> like, so, uh, yeah, the rifle thing happened. And then after, um, a few years of doing that, you know, the more you spend time in country, the better you understand it. And, and the, you know, the better you understand these animals and how they move through said country. And I started to put together some pretty good spots and, um, it got to the point where, you know, like, my first bear, I shot that, I sat there for 30 minutes and then shot, shot the bear done. And then the same thing with a deer. Like I went, you know, I'm going to go get a deer now. I, I probably 10 minutes into light shot my first deer, you know, like, so I was like, man, I, I wanted more, you know, like it, it was like ending very fast, you know, granted I wasn't being like super picky or anything like that, which you can totally do that. But at this, that stage in my hunting, I was not one to sit there and like start counting inches of antler and stuff. I just wanted to be successful. Um, and the thrill though, that I got, cause I did, I did archery hunt when I could, we have a pretty liberal archery deer season here in, uh, Arizona. 
Um, so the thrill that I got from doing that and like getting close, I was never successful early on, but that was awesome. That just like that excitement of like sneaking in to, to, to bow range deer or sitting there and having one walk by you, like, and you're so jacked that you can't even move <laughs> that, that was intoxicating to me, man. So deep down, I always kind of knew that I would, I would like end up mostly bow hunting in the future because that's just what made me happy um but yeah i was definitely a rifle man first dude yeah so um let's kind of go back to the whole bear thing it's not really something that when you think of arizona you think of monster mule deer and you think of big giant elk yeah you don't don't really think of the is it bear hunting is it like a two season where it's like a spring and a fall or is it strictly spring uh, we, we have, we have spring and fall season. So, um, uh, there's a, there's a load of opportunity here for, for bear hunting. We don't have, um, the, the numbers that a lot of the Northern states do. Um, but we do have ample opportunity and we have ample opportunity because it's so hard. Um, <clears throat> so, our first spring season starts end of March and it'll run until the beginning of May. That's an over the counter hunt that anybody can do. It's a general tag. You can use a rifle or a bow. Um, and then from there we have a draw hunt, which which is an archery hunt that'll run from the beginning of May till the end of July. There are some units in Arizona though, that, the -the over-the-counter season will run through the end of July, so you don't have to get drawn for those. Uh, Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay. Um, And then after that, uh, August 10th-ish, our fall general bear season opens in some units. The rest of our units will open at the end of August and run until middle of September and then another bear hunt will open at the beginning of October and run until the end of December. So realistically you have nine months to hunt bears in Arizona. That's pretty cool. And if you play your cards right, you could pair it up with an elk hunt too. Um, well you could, you could, uh, depending on what, you know, what season you get, what you could do though is our deer season, um, our velvet deer season, which is end of August to middle of September, these are, these run in tandem with the bear hunt. So you could be hunting archery deer, bear, and turkey all at the same time, um, on the same hunt. And, and during a time where it's so hot out, I mean, if, if, if the recipe's right, if you, everything's got a drink, right? So if you're sitting water, dude, anything could walk in a mule deer, coos deer, black bear, turkey, you never know. Mountain lion could walk in and you could have an opportunity. So that's, that's awesome. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty cool. Yeah. I mean, sorry, I was going to say like the bear, like the bear, like it's really, really difficult, you know, like a lot of people go out and they never see one, but it's really the bear thing here is really just about like putting your time in, learning about the species, learning about the country and finding these like little holes that these bears really congregate in. So, so when you, when you're talking about these holes that they congregate in, is it like a, a feed type thing where it's a rich forage, rich environment for them where they can have food, water and all the necessities or is it something else? Yeah. 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 No, it's a, it's a, I call it, you know, you're, it's a recipe, you know, you're building your recipe. Like you need to have the food, the water, the cover. Um, you know, what, what I've oftentimes noticed is like when I find one bear, um, I will stay in that area because I know that there are other bears in that area. Cause that bear that I saw is there for a reason. And if that bear's there, there's going to be another bear there. Um, that's how it is most of the time on years where we have ample moisture uh it just it, it spreads animals out a lot right because the food sources aren't as aren't as concentrated this this all applies to deer and stuff too you know but yep. uh bears live and die by their stomach so i mean you find the food you're gonna you're gonna find the black bears so that's that's good info i appreciate that so let's talk a little bit about 
so you got a book and it's called Becoming a Backpack Hunter. Yeah. So I'm just kind of curious, what made you decide or how, how did you gravitate towards that versus uh, like a truck hunt or something like that? Um, so when I, you know, like I was mentioned when I was a kid, like growing up, um, that's what I did. You know, we, we, we set up a nice truck camp. Dad had a camper. Um, those times were awesome, really great memories. Um, but after reading about backpack hunting more, it just seemed like the, like for me, it was like the ultimate adventure. It sounded like, you know, and I mean, quite honestly, like I I mentioned this in the book, but before I read about it, I I told my, I, I said, I'd never do it. You know, I, I was, I, I didn't understand it. Um, I didn't understand why somebody would put themselves through that, you know, like, like at coming from a world where you load up the whole bed of your truck to go camping. I'm like, how am I going to fit all that in a backpack? <laughs> you know, like that, that sounds insane. Like why, why would anybody do that? Not to mention, Oh, what if I'm lucky and I shoot a deer or something like that? You know, now I got to carry all that stuff out with the deer. Um, so it just sounded like a stress test to me. Um, so after, you know, reading more about it and learning a little bit more about it though, I was like, you know what? I, I think I really want to try this out. And, and I honestly, I looked at it as a way to do more stuff with my wife as well. I like to try to include my wife into what I do. Um, so I was like, Hey, I could backpack with my wife you know, that'll give us something to do. I'll just have a pair of binoculars with me while we're backpacking. Right. And then, uh, come hunting season, I can like kind of shove off and go live in the dirt for a bit and experience this just different type of hunting. And when I did that, um, it became so much more about the experience of the whole thing rather than, the mission, if you would, of trying to fill your tag. Like the first morning I woke up in the backcountry, I, you know, I, I opened the tent, I looked outside and there is, I mean, what I saw, it was just insane. You know what I mean? I never had a front porch like that before. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm up on top of this mesa high up and there's, there's just like this country way out in front of me, snow capped mountains, sun's just kind of peeking up above the, above the horizon and there's rutting coos deer about a hundred yards behind me in the basin that I'm camped above. It's funny you say that. I just actually posted a picture pretty similar to that stating. Oh, really? That, yeah, just the same thing. Unzip my tent, just got dressed, unzip my tent, and there's the sun just peeking over the horizon, and it's like, I could get used to views like this. I think that was my caption or something. It's funny oh, that yeah. you say that because it's so true. I mean, you just, you don't, you don't realize the beauty until you're, you, you immerse yourself in it. And then once you're there, you just stop for a second. And once things start slowing down, it all just, you know, shows its face and it's, it's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> I wish I could be there all the time. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, after that whole thing, I just, like you said, I, I saw that and you know, it's like, you know, I could get used to that for sure. And, um, the, the process of backpack hunting also intrigued me, you know, like there was no, Oh, let me, let me go grab to the, go to the cooler and grab something to eat. Right. Like, or get something to drink. There was, Oh, I need to go actually filter my water. That's like, a, I got to go do that, you know, like in order to live. Um, and then, uh, I found myself what I, I didn't get a deer on that trip, you know, um, saw some incredible animals, but on the way back to the truck, I, I was, I, I felt so satisfied like I didn't even get a deer and I'm like, that was awesome. I, I feel like <laughs> I accomplished something, you know what I mean? Um, and that's kind of what lit the backpack hunting fire for me. So let's, let's compound on that. Then when you're talking about like the food, not being able to go to a cooler, I, I know that you do a lot of experimentation with food and, um, you make your own meals too, right? Yeah. Yeah. Not, not exclusively, but I definitely like will make my own meals and like kind of mix it into some store-bought stuff, you know, just to like, A, I mean, it saves money and then B, um, you got a home cooked meal, you know what I mean? Like it's, there, there's, it, it's pretty awesome sitting there eating bear chili glassing for bears, you know, like it's, <laughs> it brings things full circle. <laughs> Absolutely. So, um, what made you kind of decide to do that? Was it just kind of no offense to Mountain House, but sick no, of no, eating no. all the sodium in the Mountain House, or what? What led you down that path? Um, you know, 
I've I've the older I get and I am not an old man by any means. okay, but the older I've gotten, the more I've just I've been a little bit more cognizant about what I eat. Um, And a lot of the stuff like Mountain House, I don't want to bash Mountain House at all. Like Not to make fun of or bash. Yeah, them, no, yeah. no, no, no. Some of that stuff is delicious. You know what I mean? I, I enjoy that stuff. But there's so much stuff in there that I don't even know what it is. Like, you know, like re- you read the back of the thing. I, I like I have no idea. I can't even pronounce that, you know. Um, so for me, it was a it was a way to. Uh, bring bring us some more healthy options into the backcountry. B another way for me to utilize the game meat that I'm that I'm uh, bringing home. You know, I really liked the idea of like like I said earlier of like bringing things full circle. Like you know what I mean? Like oh goodness, you know I'm I'm gonna go I'm gonna have bear chili while I'm glassing for bears. You know, like it just seemed like the right thing to do. Um, and then on top of that, you know, you go on a uh, you go on a ten day backcountry hunt. Uh, dinners alone are going <laughs> to run you, yeah. you're going to be north of a, of a C note, uh, you know, just in dinners. Okay. Um, so yeah, it, it was a financial thing too. You know, you could say I can make a whole pot of chili for like six or $7, you know, and that gives me six or seven meals. You know, so you you compare that to ten dollars or so per dinner out there for on a backpack hunt, you're you're gonna save up uh, quite a bit of money on that, you know. So which could be used to you know to put that towards your taxidermy bill or something like that, you know. Absolutely. Um. So when you use when you dehydrate your meals, um, that's like I wanted to do that with mine, and I've got one of those circle ones, and I'm like, what the heck do I do? Do I and they stack on top of each other and the fans on top. Sure. So I'm thinking if I put like the parchment paper, I think I need to get a new dehydrator, one with like the square trays so I can yep. slide them in. So yeah, I've been wanting to do that and make my meals, but I haven't got that far. You got any recommendations on that? Uh, so I use um, exactly what you were just saying. I use my, the, the dehydrator I use is the Excalibur from uh, Cabela's. Mm-hmm. It's a five tray dehydrator. You know, I put the parchment paper down and stuff like that. Um, when you what I like to do is I'll make like whatever it is, like a pot of chili or whatever you're making. And I'll portion it out. Into like like just as if I was going to sit there and eat dinner. Okay, like I'll just make a bowl of chili. Okay, that's two scoops, you know, blah, blah, blah. I'll take that two scoops and that's what will go on each sheet. Okay, so each sheet for me is a dinner. All right. And when so when you put that on there, though, man, like you need to put it like as thin as you can. Okay, no big chunks. Like try to like cut cut that stuff up. Like if you're putting like onions or, you know, um, peppers into into whatever you're making, cut it up pretty small because it's going to dehydrate better uh, when you do that. And f- spread it out really thin on that sheet because the same is true with that. The thinner you can spread that out, the better. And um, so, uh, like, if I it'll probably take I, I believe it takes like nine hours or something like that um, for, to dehydrate. About halfway through that, a lot of times what I'll do is I'll go in and I'll kind of mix it up and just to kind of you know what I mean, like kind of get it mixed up, break up anything that needs to be broken up. If I notice that you know this little corner over here isn't dehydrating as quick as the other stuff is because it's like bigger chunks, I'll break that up and you just kind of do that and then spread it out again. Um, the good thing about all this is you really can't do it wrong. You can't over dehydrate something, you know what I mean? Like, so, I mean, heck leave it there for as long as you want, you know, but I found, uh, right around nine hours is when, um, when it's done. And then, uh, from there, each one of those sheets I put into a freezer Ziploc bag. I use the freezer ones because they're thicker. Okay. So, I mean, you know, rooting around in your backpack like sometimes i mean you could put a hole in a ziploc and then if you put boiling water in that that's gonna suck if you if you're holding (laughs) that in your hand you know (laughs) so um i uh yeah i use those freezer ziploc bags and then uh i eat right out of those bags man Uh, you know add in about eight ounces or so of water you kind of it's personal preference you know how thick you want your your meal or whatever but yeah, yeah yeah pretty cool 
So um, have you tried the Mylar bags at all? No, I have not. So you can go on like Amazon or you can order them somewhere else online too, but you can get Mylar bags and just pick the appropriate size for whatever portion you're wanting to do, you know, inch by inch and you order oxygen absorbers with it. Oh, nice. Yeah. So you could take those and you just open up the pack oxygen absorbers, throw a couple of them in there. Then you put your meal in and just put, press all the air out with your hand. You don't have to get crazy with it. It's not like you're vacuum sealing it. And you seal it up. It's got like a Ziploc zipper on it. You seal that up. And then you can literally take an iron and put it on like a two-by-four or something. And you take the iron and you, and you slowly go over on the hottest setting. You slowly go over the lip of that bag and it mm-hmm. seals it. So now you've got just like a Heather's Choice or a Mountain House or whatever in one of those bags. So it's a little bit more durable. Oh, yeah. And then I think it potentially could last longer, too, if you like I started making my own pack just because who doesn't love a pack Right. But the cost, yeah. the cost of them and the size is like 250 for one little tiny little nugget. And I'm like, man, that's yeah. not enough to satisfy anybody. But <laughs> sure, sure, sure. <laughs> it just gets expensive. So I started making my own and I, I started making them as big as a mason jar lid, like a regular mouth mason jar lid. In fact, that's yeah. what I use as my my like cookie to like the what do you call a cookie ring or whatever. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I started doing that and putting them in and then I could throw them in those mylar bags with an oxygen absorber and they last for like ever. Oh, nice, man. That sounds so, awesome. So. Maybe look into that for it might be a little more durable. And it's probably actually if, if you order them like 100 bags or something, I think it's like 12 or 14 bucks. If you do the math, it's probably even cheaper than your heavy duty freezer bags. Oh, I, I guarantee it's cheaper than the heavy duty <laughs> freezer bags. <laughs> those things are pretty expensive. My wife always yells at me when I'm taking handfuls of them and throwing them in the truck. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, no, dude. That's a great point, man. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but so, um, yeah, the food. Have you ever tried like a next mile meal? Uh, yeah, I have. Um, I tried those last year. I think I had the like the Italian meatball guy, and then there's another chicken one that I oh. that I tried out. I was doing um, so last year. I was doing like this like diet experiment. It lasted six months. So I ate clean for a month. Then I went back to my original diet for a month. And then I <laughs> and then I did paleo for a month. And then I went back to my original diet for a month. And then I did keto for a month. And I went back to my original diet. It was purely my curiosity. I just wanted to see, like, A, what worked best for me. Did it matter? Like, did it do anything? You know what I mean? Like, cause there's a lot of hype around like certain diets and stuff like that. You know, um, like some people swear by the keto thing. Mm-hmm. Other others are like, Oh, that's ridiculous. Absolutely. You know what I mean? That's garbage. <laughs> so I just wanted to see for myself the, I can't, what I was getting at though, I came across those next mile meals because I, when I was doing keto, cause I had to eat like this stuff, I was hunting throughout the whole time. So like I had to learn how to eat keto and eat clean and paleo on backpack hunts because it was during spring bear season. So, yeah. So how, how did it end up going? Let's talk about that then. I'm curious. What, oh, yeah. what was your findings? Oh, okay. So, uh, I'll, I'll start at the positive end and then go to the negative, <laughs> the negative part. Sure. Um, what worked best for me, man, uh, and where I felt the best felt great. Energy level was awesome. Um, no like intestinal, like stomach issues, anything like that. Um, eating clean and just like, you know, no processed food, no added sugar, just all like natural stuff that worked the best for me. Like I, I think I lost like, I lost like 15 pounds eating whatever I wanted whenever I wanted, you know, it just, and it was just, it was really mind blowing, you know, like. Um, I was breaking all the rules, you know, I was eating right before bed and everything. And, (laughs) and I lost 15 pounds doing that. And then, um, the paleo that, that was probably, uh, that was second best. It it, paleo to me was like a more restricted version of eating clean. Mm -hmm. So it just added more work to everything. (laughs) So I I, like, you know what I mean? Like, like, like I felt great and everything. And I enjoyed what I was eating, but it was just like, I feel the same doing this over here and it's a lot less 
for me to do, right. you know? So, uh, so that's what, it, there's just a lot more cooking involved with paleo and stuff, which I like cooking, but you know what I mean? Like, God, goodness gracious. I just get, I get so busy sometimes, you know, and I just don't <laughs> have time to do stuff. So no. I'm on now. a, uh, I'm on a paleo ish diet. So, there you go. uh, it's not, hundred percent paleo. Cause I'm not going to lie. Who doesn't love a little bit of cheese on things and stuff like that. But right, I right. try to stay away from like the legumes and especially the grains. I am 100% green free. And I've noticed a huge difference with that though. Yeah. Yeah. No, I dude, way less lethargic. You know what I mean? Um, and, uh, just felt really good. I, I, I was really happy with, with eating like that. Um, so the worst part of this whole thing, <laughs> like keto for me, you know what, man? Like it works really good for some people. I honestly, like I hated every bit of it. Like it was, I, I didn't even last a full month. I lasted two weeks on it and I was like, you know what? I found out what I wanted to find out. I'm done doing this. <laughs> it was like, dude, I started not liking bacon and like not liking eggs and stuff like that because like I was eating so much of it. Um, <laughs> like, like the, the, the taste of butter almost wanted to make me gag. That's sad. Uh, yeah, no, it's really bad, man. Really bad. Um, and so my, my take on keto is I think it's a great way for, um, like if you want to like do like this quick weight loss diet, cool, go ahead, do keto. I personally, I don't think it is like a long-term diet. Then again, like I'm not a dietitian, I'm not a nutritionist. I, I don't, I'm not an expert in any of this. Okay. But like <laughs> from what way smarter people than me have had to say, like your brain functions off of carbohydrates. So like just knocking out all of those, um, I don't know. I, I feel like it couldn't be good. You know, I don't, that, that's just my opinion. Yeah. You know, I, I feel like you're going against like the natural order of things like like the whole like paleo and clean thing. Paleo makes 100 percent sense to me, you know, like you're eating like real stuff. Totally, totally right. Keto, dude, like <laughs> why would I willingly like willingly want to put like MCT oil and butter into my coffee? You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. Like. So I don't know. Hey, some people love it and, and hey, good for them. You know what I mean? More power to them, but it was not for me. Yeah. I, I mean, if it works for them or that, that's what they're into, that's great. Mm -hmm. Like, I mean, I'll, I know that I had a huge adjustment when I first went like completely grain free. There was a lot of lethargy and stuff just because my body wasn't getting the same kind of carbs and it was so used to it. And then yep. once I got past that little hump, it was like a couple of weeks, I think. Yep. And then just started getting all my carbs from, you know, clean, pure vegetable, you know, stuff like that. Then it really started taking off for me. And I noticed the difference. I mean, I, I used to have allergies that were terrible and it's weird, but I don't know if it was like an inflammation thing from all the grains or something. Mm -hmm. But once that inflammation was gone, my body could either deal with the allergies or they just went away. But I mean, it definitely helped me. And I'm like, man, that's crazy how, how that works. But it worked pretty good. And that's how I kind of came across those next mile meals is because there's not really a whole lot of options out there. I think there's like a wild Zora, which those are OK, but most of them are soups. So you're left with not a whole lot of options there. Oh, and my God. Those. <laughs> uh, I'm sorry. Uh, OK. <laughs> I've eaten all of these. Okay. Yeah, uh, yeah. The wild, the wild Zora, um, the breakfasts are great in my opinion. Like it's like sh a lot of like shredded coconut, like yeah. dehydrated banana type of stuff. Granola. I, I that was, nips, that, yeah. 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 That, those were great. The dinners. Um, oh my goodness. Uh, I feel like I would have been a lot happier if maybe if I brought like a little thing of seasoning with me or something like that and put it in there. Yeah. But the dinners were incredibly bland, in my opinion, um, which which is sad, you know, because like, I mean, goodness, I was out there like set seven days on a backcountry mule deer hunt and that's all I had to eat. It got to the point where I, where I, I started eating bars for dinner like <laughs> because I yeah, no, it really, man. I, I, I mean, I don't want to bash on them at all. Like she makes really good really good meals and stuff like the quality is fantastic um i think if i did that again though like if i did the wild zora thing i would definitely like have like it may, it may be like a 
like some sriracha or something like that or something something to put in there to like liven up the meal um heather's choice though man i really liked her stuff uh, out there now me i don't care for the heather's choice because you really only have the two options as far as dinners and i'm not i'm not a big salmon guy and the amount of salmon that they pack in there is like way too much for me (laughs) it's a lot yeah i I know what you mean man (laughs) i that stuff like that stuff was far i i I eat that stuff normally so like it it wasn't like a change for me to eat that so no like i Especially for a person that doesn't eat a lot of salmon, and then you get yeah. like that salmon chowder and just the amount in there, it was almost nauseating. I was like, "Wow, <laughs> this is too much." <laughs> but like the same thing with that. my experience was pretty similar with the wild zora. It was pretty much like a it, it left there was something to be desired. They were good, but yeah. something to still be desired. And then yeah. uh, like the next mile, though, I love that Italian meatball. They had to change the name, I think, because it. I just got an email about that that because it's not made in Italy or something like that. So it's oh no way. So now it's like meatballs and marinara with zoodles or something crazy. Oh my goodness, goodness. But yeah, that one is like quickly becoming my favorite. And I know it's not because the cheese and whatnot. It's not exactly paleo, but yeah, yeah. I said I eat paleo-ish anyway. So yeah, you know what I mean, dude. Out on these hunts, though, man, like you are just thrashing so hard. E- eating a little bit of this and a little bit of that's not going to really do anything to you. You know what I mean? Like you're just like grinding out there. So, um, I don't think it's a big deal. Like eating some stuff, you know, yeah. like even like if you're eating like Snickers and stuff like that, I think it's actually good for you to do that out there. So. <laughs> I know a few people that would disagree with that. Although dude, I love peanut butter cups. Those are, yeah. as long as you can keep them from melting, those are my absolute favorite. I dude, I think, well, I think, you know, I talk about this, like, I think it's important, like, it doesn't matter what it is, like, whether it's a Snickers bar, peanut butter cup, whatever your thing is, I feel like it's important to like throw into your food bag, like something, something that's like a comfort type of food to you. Um, because backpack hunting is, is hard. It's, it's, it is mentally exhausting at times. It's physically draining. And to sit there after you blow a stalk on a deer and you just feel like lower than the dirt to sit there and like have a cup of coffee and eat like your favorite, whatever that just has a way of like, you know, lighten, livening the mood up and stuff, you know, and just kind of like resetting and giving you a little bit of peace at home. Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. So, um, have you ever experimented with like fruit leathers or anything in your dehydrator? No, man, I haven't. I, I really want to do that this year. I was ju- like literally just talking to my wife about this like a week ago. I'm like, I want to I want to do I want to like experiment with some fruit leather stuff for sure. So I was just at the Western Hunting Summit. And uh, so Ryan and Hillary Lampers were putting that on. And uh, Ryan makes these uh, he calls a mountain candy, but it's sweet potato leathers. Uh-huh. No joke. Those things are so good that I could probably eat one of those over a Snickers bar. No, really? They're that good. It's got like a little hint of like cinnamon or something in it and some honey just for added a little bit of extra sweetness. Those Mm. things are amazing. Goodness gracious. Yeah. I I need to try those out. I've been hearing the legends of those freaking (laughs) things. (laughs) And and he makes them like he makes them. He puts down like the nonstick sheet on his, I think he's got the Excalibur too. Um, And like the whole tray he makes them almost as big as the whole tray. So, I mean, that thing is big and we were hiking along and he just pulls it out and takes a big bite off of it, puts it back in his pocket and keeps hiking along. But those things, yeah, he gave me one and they're freaking phenomenal. I'm going to, I, I got to get a new dehydrator so I can make those. Yeah, man. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. You can get really crazy with, uh, with your food. It just, you know, it, it is a time investment though, for sure. You know what I mean? Like trying to make all your own stuff, but it's worth it in the end. Yeah. Yeah. And that's like, well, obviously the way I eat, it makes it hard. It makes it hard to find things that you could take with you and enjoy. And that, so I'm definitely going to have to go down that road to make it my own stuff. Yeah, for sure, man. So let's talk a little bit about like, uh, gear and, and essentials and things like that. Since you, since the time you started till now, what would you say you've learned that absolutely don't need or something like that, that you, you just, used to carry with you and it's absolutely pointless and then what could you like not live without 
Um, the whole thing about gear that I've learned is, um, it's really a mental thing. Um, when I first started, I was of the opinion, you know, better safe than sorry, you know, and like all these different things that go through your head, like, oh, well, what if, what if this happens and I don't have this? And what if this happens that I don't have this? I used to carry a speed loader with extra bullets in it for my <laughs> sidearm. Okay? Like, like, yeah, I'm serious. Like, bullets are heavy, man. You know what I mean? Like, so, like, after a while, you know, you just kind of realize, like, you know what? I, 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 I don't need that. Like, the, the zombie apocalypse is not going to happen while I'm deer hunting. You know? <laughs> like, so... Um, <laughs> So once, and all this just comes with experience, right? You like, you go out there and like a really good, great thing to do is you go out there, you like make a gear list, go out there. If you, you know, you come back, go through your pack and check off what you didn't use. And with the exception of, you know, your first aid, hopefully you never have to use that. Right. But you need it. Right. Like with the exception of like your first aid kit and like some other constants like that, so yeah, yeah. I mean, like, hopefully you never have to use your first aid kit, but that's like something that you're not going to leave without, right? You need the first aid kit. Um, but other things like my ridiculous speed loader thing, uh, <laughs> don't, don't need that, right? Like you don't need that. There's, there was some other stuff in there. Like there's a lot of little light things that I noticed when I, when I was starting, like I would always have hand warmers with me, but those hand warmers would drift right into summertime, but then, but they would still be in my backpack. <laughs> Yeah. And I'm like, well, I don't need those, you know? So if you go like, the, you know, you go and you get back, you know, do you do three trips? If you've gone three trips without using X or Y, you probably don't need it, you know? Um, and that's kind of the approach that I took to that. And it's really just the more time you spend out there, the more comfortable you get and, confident that you get in yourself and your gear you know and i think it's important like like on the clothing end of things like knowing what your clothing can handle that that right there is something that can add up a lot of space in your backpack right if you're like oh you're worried like you're worried about being cold so you bring a couple extra layers with you but you, you don't even need those layers well you just brought like you know, a couple extra stuff with a couple extra layers with you it took up space in your pack and carried extra weight for no reason. Yeah. You know what I mean? So, yeah, I, I would oftentimes on the clothing thing, man, I would uh, take note of the temperature um, on scouting trips and stuff. And I would be like, OK, I'm fine in this. Right. Like I have these layers on right now. This is what I know I'll be OK with if the temperature is this. And that's what I mean about like knowing like your gear, like knowing your system and stuff and what it can handle, because that is going to help you uh, cut the fat on your gear list. So let's let's kind of dive into that, because you mentioned it. And I've noticed it's not only you that kind of talks about this, but I've noticed a lot of other people talk about this, too. And it's one of those things that all good or dialed in hunters, I'll call them, take notes. It's something I never really thought of until just kind of compiling data together from all these different people. And they all talk about taking notes and it's like, oh, this elk was doing this or the temperature yeah. was this. That is something that I never really even, you know, put two and two together, but it totally makes sense. Yeah, I, I've done that for a multitude of things. Um, that's how I figured out how, what, um, how much food to bring with me on trips. I would in the beginning, you know, cause like, I feel like I've said this before, but like, I feel like there's like this natural fear of us being hungry, right? You, you don't want to be hungry out there. Right. So you, you, you bring too much food. Well, how I got around that when I first started out was I would on purpose, okay, I would bring what I deem to be too much food. But at the end of the day, I would write down what I ate. Okay. And I would eat as I was hungry. Like I would try to overstuff myself and I would, and I'd make a note like, okay, was I hungry at the end of the day? Was I satisfied? And that's kind of how I figured out how much food to bring with me. And then like on the hunting side of things, like you could take this right into the hunting side of things. The notes in my phone at that time were were ridiculous you know like oh oh i i saw i saw three bucks on an east facing hillside at 7 30 in the morning 
okay, I keep going and I keep seeing stuff on east facing hillsides at seven, eight o'clock in the morning. Now I know, okay, I'm going to go look for other east facing hillsides in other country and that's going to help me find more animals and stuff. Because like those animals are there for a reason, just like I was talking about the bears earlier, you know, and I feel like all of these little things that you're doing, you're putting puzzle pieces together and you're drawing a picture, right? If you have that picture in front of you, you can take that picture and apply it to different units, different states, different species, everything. Um, it's just about taking the time to pay attention to that stuff. Yeah, I think that's huge. And that's something I'm definitely going to incorporate into my my hunting for sure, because any, anybody that you talk to that's that's uh, pretty successful, they at some point in a conversation, they'll be like, well, I went and I looked at my notes or I kept seeing this pattern. So I wrote it down and, mm-hmm. and then I looked at it later and, you know, then it makes sense. Or why were these elk in this basin? And I, I couldn't understand it until I figured out the prevailing wind or I kept trying to stalk them mm-hmm. and uh, couldn't figure out why I couldn't beat the thermals and it's because of the prevailing wind was coming over that ridge and swirling in there, you know, just different things like that, that man, that could be so, so helpful. Yeah. What I do oftentimes dude is, uh, I've done in the past is like, I, I take photos on my cell phone and if I'm new to an area, um, say like, say I'm, you know, the summer, I, I did this before in Colorado. Like I was elk hunting in an area, but we glassed up some, some awesome looking mule deer, Oh yeah. And I like take a photo and it's like, Oh man, I, when was that? And I'll go back in my gallery and I'll look at the date and it'll be like, you, you saw these deer on this day. Right. So you can like apply that to the following year. And I do the same thing with, I do the same thing with bears. I take pictures of bear scat, take pictures of bears walking around in Arizona and stuff. And I refer back to that stuff a lot because it'll let me know, Oh, at this time of year, the grass was green right? Yeah. Like that's a, that's a prime food source during springtime. Okay. So it, there's just a lot to keep track of. So I feel like keeping notes is just like a really great way to stay organized. Yeah. Without a doubt. That's definitely something I have to incorporate. So I got another question for you then. Um, when, when you're glassing, is there anything you do to try and be more effective when glassing? Uh, it depends what kind of are you talking like real big country yeah like i mean do you, do you try and like break it up or something like yeah. that segment it oh yeah yeah so yeah so um glassing for me like big country we do a lot of glassing down here in arizona there's a lot of open country down here um glassing on a tripod is absolutely necessary like a necessity for us down here especially with coos deer we have a, a deer down here called a coos deer it's about the size of a of an overgrown German shepherd, um, baby whitetails. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They, and they, they are tough to spot and they hide really well. So, um, a tripod just ups your game of seeing movement, uh, just like tenfold. So, uh, glassing from a tripod. But what I like to do is I do, that's what I do. I break, I break the country up into sections. You know, I feel like if you look at everything all at once, it's slightly overwhelming. Um, and you can, you can oftentimes lose place of where you were, you know, like, Oh, did I already glass that over there? I don't remember. So what I do is like, if there's like four, you know, hillsides in front of me, I'll, I'll grid search one of those hillsides, you know, then I'll go to the next one and then I'll go to the next one and then I'll go back and I'll grid search. But as I'm grid searching, like I'll stop in like areas where like, let's say I'm looking into like a potential bedding area, which is a usually, you know, it's going to be denser in vegetation. I'll stop within those areas and then I'll grid search with my eyes while I'm, while the, the, the binoculars are locked into place that right there, you know, I've spotted so many animals just by doing that because that's when you're going to see like an ear flick or like, you know, a tail move a little bit like that. Or I've seen deer blink before doing that. Um, so yeah, you just do that. Like it's very, it's, it can get very meticulous at times, but, um, generally like you show up and you're like, I'll glass fairly fast to spot the obvious, you know, then I'll go back, get a little more meticulous. And then if I still am not seeing anything, then I'll just really start grinding into those hillsides. And then if I don't see anything, then I leave. 
and I'll yeah. go somewhere and I'll go somewhere else. So your preference then is to start out with binoculars and then you just throw a spotter on if you think you pick something up or. Yeah. Yeah. I, I really like the binoculars, um, for most of my glassing just because, uh, looking with two eyes is a lot easier than w- looking through one. Um, and you just get a bigger, like a wider field of view, you know? And in my opinion, having that wider field of view, you're just opening yourself up to see more. Um, if I'm in really big country, say, and you know, I spotted deer, I spot some deer moving with my binoculars. I watch the deer go into like a thicket and then I lose them. I'll get the spotter out and just, I'll zoom in on that thicket and just really start creeping through that thing with it, with a spotting scope to catch, you know, an antler or something like that. I was doing that. I found that extremely effective last year when I was hunting uh, high country mule deer in Colorado. Um, that, that is literally what killed my deer for me was, was having that spotting scope and being able to really peer into these bedding areas. Um, if you're glassing, if I'm glassing really, really big stuff, um, you know what, man, I, I have glassed with a spotting scope. Um, and, uh, it's great, you know, it works great, but I, I just prefer the binoculars over, over spy scope for most of my glassing. What's your preferred, uh, choice of like power of binoculars when you're doing it. Yeah. So I run, uh, I really like tens I run 10 by 42 vortex razor HDs or UHDs. Sorry. And then, uh, the spy scope is, I like a 65 millimeter, um, razor, uh, HD. And then I like that 65 because it's more, um, a lot of guys like the 85 and the 90 millimeters, which are great big, you know, big spotting <laughs> scopes, you know, it's heavy. Well, yeah, but yeah, but for backpack hunting, um, that 65, I feel like is a really great blend of it's a lot, it's more, it's, you know, more packable, less weight, but it still has enough power to reach out there and touch something that's really far away. Yeah. It's, I got the 60 by 85 and I can, I can attest to the weight of that thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. in fact on this last hike i just went on i i ditched it out of the pack to save weight and oh, then after you? i got up and started glass and i was like man it would have been nice to have that with me yeah yeah <laughs> oh well what are you gonna do but yeah. so let's uh I, I got one more thing to ask you and then we're gonna kind of talk about your book a little bit but um so things to bring with you are essentials for the hunt and uh I've seen you put down a pre-hunt date night. Oh, dude. Yeah. Goodness. I forgot about that, man. Yeah, yeah. dude, you got it. You got to do that. So I, um, yeah, absolutely, man. You know, like before I leave, my wife and I are really close, you know, and, um, we, we're the type that get cranky when we're not around each other. <laughs> so, so before I leave, we always do that. You know, I always, we go out on a date before I leave and then we always go out on a date right when I get home. You know, just because I've been gone and stuff. That's a really good idea. And I'm definitely going to start incorporating that into my routine because especially with the kids, I mean, now my wife, you know, it's stuck at home with three kids. If I go out on a hunt seven, 10 days, that's her taking care of them by herself. And I got to admit, that's a pretty big sacrifice that she makes for me and I appreciate it. But I think I need to show her that a little bit more. And I think that date night's an awesome, awesome idea. So yeah, I'm definitely sure. going to use that, man. Yeah, no, I also try to, you know, I also try to wrap up any honeydews too. You know what I mean? Like before <laughs> I leave, you know, like if I got to like, oh, got let, let me mow the lawn. I'll clean the house a little bit, you know, like kind of, you know, do dishes, get things cl- cleaned up. Um, it's just less for her to do, you know, because because like you're right, you know, I mean, to me, it is a huge sacrifice. And I'm extremely grateful that my wife supports me so much in what I do. Um, but you know, it's a two way street, you know what I mean? Like, and you gotta, you, you gotta give back as well. So, yeah, I think I should have taken the Randy Newberg approach on that as far as the honeydews <laughs> and just done the whole pay the man type thing because now she knows what I'm capable of <laughs> and, it's, and it's never ending though. <laughs> so it's like, okay, right, let's right. remodel a bathroom. Oh, we're putting new floors in. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and if I would have been like Randy, I could have just paid somebody in the beginning. And then when something breaks, when you're gone or something like that, it would have been a lot easier. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> but yeah. Oh, well you live and you learn. I made that mistake. Now I'm stuck with it. But so yeah, 
definitely have to try and keep up on my honey do list. Although it seems like mine's ever increasing. Yeah. <laughs> it's all good, man. If you ain't yeah. busy, you know, it's better to be more busy than not busy. So yeah, without a doubt. But let's, so let's talk about your book a little bit. Um, you want to share with everybody what it is and kind of, uh, a little bit about it without giving too much away. Yeah, sure. Uh, so the book's called becoming a backpack hunter, a beginner's guide to hunting the backcountry. And, um, you know, I, so as a writer, um, the more, the more I, I wrote, the more questions I would get asked from a lot of different people that was reading my stuff and everything. And one of the constants, the constant, uh, topics that I get asked about is backpack hunting. And when I was first starting out, um, there was some resources out there, you know, that had info and stuff like that, but I never really, I never really found something that had everything condensed into one spot into a very digestible, uh, format. Um, so after, you know, so many people getting a hold of me and, and asking this and asking that my own questions of when, when I was just getting into all this, you know, like mental stuff and everything, I decided, you know what, like, I think I just want to write all this down, you know? And, uh, I just kind of went from front to back. The book is a from front to back look at backpack hunting from like, you don't even know if you want to backpack hunt all the way to your packing an animal out back to the truck. Everything in between that is covered in the book. Um, mental, uh, mental, uh, struggles, physical aspects of backpack hunting. The gear section alone is huge within the book. Um, and, uh, logistics, travel logistics, you know, everything that you, you can think about, like meat care, er everything it's in there. Um, how to pack your backpack, how to wear a backpack. There's like process to doing that, you know, to putting on a backpack the proper way you can have the most expensive backpack there is out there. If you don't wear it properly is not going to work, <laughs> you know? Absolutely. So yeah, it is all a system. So yeah, I just, that, that, that was my whole thing with the book, man. I just wanted to, to like lay out a roadmap to take somebody that is interested in doing this and, but maybe doesn't have the confidence yet or any direction really and set them, set them out on their first backpack hunt. You know what I mean? Yeah. So yeah. No, that's really cool. Uh, I'm glad you document so many things that you do and taking the notes that you did because I'm sure it helped you with your with your journey on the book. And uh, I'm, I'm glad that you're sharing that and putting it out there. It's something that I'm definitely going to get and read. Haven't done it yet. I, I did tell you earlier before we, when we talked before uh, we started this episode that I did look for it on an audio book. So maybe hopefully that comes out so I can... Uh... You know... <laughs> You know what? Like you're not the first. Like I think you're probably the sixth, the sixth person <laughs> that has asked me about that. If I was gonna do an audiobook. dude, I'm telling you, when I first wrote it, I never intended on doing an audiobook. But like, it sounds like a lot of people want audiobooks. You know? Well, it's just something so, that you know I could listen to on my commute, or you know, sure. where that time wouldn't be normally. And and as you can attest, now that you've got a child, yeah. Um, congratulations on that. But yeah, you uh, you definitely will realize how limited your reading time will become. So. Dude, dude, I know. I, I just started, uh, I just got a book, a new book right before, um, right before my daughter got here. Yeah, I haven't really gotten touched that, man. Um, uh, yeah, no, so the audio book thing, I totally get it because you can multitask. You know, yeah, like, without a doubt. And I've got those like uh, the Trex titanium earplugs so I can still hear everything that's going around me and my wife won't yell at me for having the earbuds in. Oh, nice. Oh, yeah. So it's it's bone conduction headphones. So that way you could still listen to your audio book or whatever you're doing. And if the wife hollers and you can hear her or a kid, you know, does something in another room, you can run in and keep them from doing something stupid. But yeah, it's definitely <laughs> something <laughs> That's awesome, man. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. But, man, I appreciate you coming on. I appreciate you talking to me. Um, why don't you tell people real quick where they can find you? Yeah, yeah. So uh, if you just – I'm on all the social platforms, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. You just search Dialed In Hunter, and you'll find me there. Um, go to my website at dialedinhunter.com. Um, the book, if you're interested in the book, it's available on Amazon in both print and Kindle formats. 
just search becoming a backpack hunter and you'll find it. I, and, and anybody that wants to ask me any questions, I, I always try to get back to everybody like on Instagram and stuff like that. So feel free to reach out to me. All right, man. I appreciate it. Thank you so much for coming on. All right. Thanks, Luke. Once again, thank you so much for listening to the Publicly Challenged podcast. I hope you enjoyed the show. And if you did, please subscribe on whatever platform it is you're listening to. Also, if you could leave a review, that would help us out. And you can check us out on Instagram or at publiclychallenged.com. And once again, thank you so much for listening to the show. there and the fish are where you think they are any one of these casts could be the bite it's the most exciting fishing that i know right here at hawks cave oh that's awesome experience the best saltwater fishing the world has to offer don't miss thursdays with saltwater experience brought to you by golden boat lifts every thursday night from 7 to 10 p.m eastern on waypoint tv the destination for outdoor entertainment you're listening to the Waypoint Podcast Network, brought to you in part by HuntStand, the number one hunting and land management app.